With insight on what unbelief leads to, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. It's always a tragic thing when unbelief steals away the blessings of God in your life and mine. It's always tragic. Oh, it's a trap. It couldn't be true. And our minds get filled with all sorts of weird thoughts, wrapped up in unbelief. Unbelief holds you back from all that God wants you to do. Unbelief leads to disobedience. Disobedience leads to more disobedience. Before you know it, you're so far away. God has provided deliverance. This is amazing grace. The problem of unbelief persists today. Too few will step out in faith, trusting God's leading, and consequently are robbed of the blessing God wants to bring about in and through their lives. But there's an answer to this chronic problem, and we'll hear about it today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 7, we find two kinds of people, those who are skeptical and unbelieving, and those who step out in faith we begin with the skeptic. To tell us about him from chapter 7, verse 2, here's Pastor Ed. The first thing we tend to do is try to figure out possible solutions to the problem. So we work this angle, we work this angle, and we start thinking through, well, what if this happens? And what if I try this? And try to get out of the problem. But there are a couple of challenges with that. First of all, when we enter into a problem trying to figure it out, when then we take our prayer life, and we take that thought process into our prayer life, our prayers become direction-type prayers to God. And you say, Ed, what do you mean? Well, when we pray, we start telling God how to figure it out, because we've already figured it out. You know, God, if you would just do this, can you just make this happen? Because I know that if you make this happen, then this will happen, and this will happen, and you'll solve the problem. And we start telling God what to do in our prayer life. Anybody amen that? I don't hear many amens. Anybody familiar with that? I mean, it may not be as direct as I just shared it, but I mean, come on. We come to God, we've got it all figured out, and if He just works this one out, and if you just take care of this, that's a problem at work. And so you start praying, well, well, Lord, you know, I did this, and I did this, so if you'll handle this, and you'll take this, and I go into my boss, and God, just would you make it happen? And we begin to pray, directing God. And haven't we learned by now that God does not follow our directions? He doesn't follow our directions. And this is what happens next. So when you have gone through a series of directional prayers and God doesn't answer the prayers that you've been praying, you get mad at God for not doing what you told him to do. And it's a subtle shift, but an important one as you begin to turn on God and you respond to God with selfish impatience, starting to accuse him of not hearing and not responding and not caring and not answering and not helping and not loving. God, you just don't love me. You don't care about me. You've forgotten me. And we begin to speak. We're not just skeptical anymore. We've become anti-God in this problem. We've become an accuser of God. We, we have reduced our lives in that moment to the level of the enemy. He's the accuser of the brethren. 
And who are we to bring a railing accusation against God? Because he didn't answer our directional prayers? Because he didn't come through the way we wanted him to come through? Because he didn't do what we wanted him to do? The way we wanted him to do it? In the time that he, we wanted him to do it? And then suddenly, out of the blue, as we're in this moment, out of the great grace and mercy of God, just out of the blue, unexpectedly, God begins to work. And he answers our prayer. And he answers it in a way that we, we've never thought of. It didn't cross our mind. It wasn't even on our radar. And then his faithfulness shines through. And his answers come. Because we don't have all the facts. And we don't have all the resources. And God is able to do things that we can't even imagine in ways that would have never crossed our minds. He has more resources than we do. He has more wisdom than we do. He has more facts than we do. And we would do well not to come to God with directional prayers, but rather to come to God and just lay the situation before him. Just lay it before him, Lord. This is what I see. This is what I feel. This is what I'm going through. How is it, Lord, that you're going to take care of the problem that I'm in? That's where Psalm 37 comes in. One of my favorite psalms. One of my favorite encouragements in times of difficulty. One of the ways that I can come to and be reminded not to come to God and direct him and boss him around, but rather to surrender my situation to him, to trust him in my life. That, that I come and say, Father, I need help. Please intercede. Please solve this. Please reveal to me. And so what does the Bible say in Psalm 37, verse 1? Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither like the green herb. And notice all these directions. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I just noticed as I'm reading this, I started smiling. How can you not smile at this? Just delight yourself in the Lord. Just enjoy him. Feed on his faithfulness. Isn't it in times of problems? And isn't it in times of directing God and being a little disappointed with God? That isn't it those times where you forget his faithfulness and his goodness? You just think, man, how do you even have the power and the strength to pray to him? How is it that you're even in relationship with him? How is it that your heart is beating right now? How is it that you're taking your next breath? How is it that you just put down a sandwich or finished it? How is it that you're drinking tea? It's the faithfulness of God. Why is it that he even hears us? He's not obligated to answer us. And yet he does. Commit your way, verse 5, to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Notice verse 7. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. Why? It only causes harm. It's the answer to skepticism. And you go through in any of these directions. There's quite a few of them in there. Quite a few verbs that speak to us of action in times of difficulty. Don't fret. Trust in the Lord. Come back now as we pick up in verse 3, making amazing progress. 
but it's just so encouraging. I couldn't, I couldn't just get past the sense of this skepticism because I think if we would go home and look in the mirror, we would see a lot of skepticism toward God in our hearts. We would see a lot of skepticism in our lives and in our minds. You know, for example, we have this short-term mission team up here sharing of the uh, wonderful work that God did through them, sharing how exciting. And I wonder, I always wonder, I wonder who's listening or watching that the Lord said, go on that trip, but in skepticism, you didn't go on that trip. And it's not that God's condemning you and it's not because there'll be opportunities, but it is God that he's revealing to you, man, the answer to the word of God is not skepticism, it's faithful obedience, and when he says something that even blows your mind, even if the window's open, well, look, God's not going to, he's not bound by your idea. He's not bound by your resource. He's not bound by how you think you can figure things out. He's not bound by me. He's so much bigger and greater and grander and smarter and wiser and more powerful. And he's so much more than you and me. And when I trust him, all of his resources become my resources. But I have to trust him to do his will his way, in his timing. And that's just that place of rest. Now in the midst of this, verse 3, it says, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we'll enter the city and the famine is in the city, we'll die there. If we sit here, we'll die also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll die. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of the chariots and the noise of the horses and the noise of a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel is hired against us, the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians, to attack us. Therefore, verse 7, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Now these lepers, the famine would have hit them extremely hard because they couldn't live in the city and they would only receive because leprosy was an unclean sickness, so they couldn't be around people, so they'd have to live outside of the city, and they would be dependent on whatever food would be thrown over the gate, so it would hit them double. So there they are sitting there thinking, look, as we examine our lives, they basically came to the conclusion that it's true. They're going to die. The famine's so hard, they haven't heard Elisha, they haven't heard that revelation yet, they haven't heard the word of the Lord, and they're sitting there examining their life, and they've come to the conclusion, hey, whatever we do, we're going to die. So if we sit around and do nothing, we're going to die. But you know, if we get up and we step out on faith and we go check out the Syrian camp and just cast our lot with the enemy and just, hey man, maybe they'll give us a little bit of food. It doesn't matter. If they want to feed us, great. If they want to kill us, great. We're going to die anyway. And really what the essence of this is, is the, these men have assessed their life and chosen to step out in faith. When's the last time you assessed your life and have chosen to step out in faith? And to put it all on the line. They've come to the place where they put it all on the line. This is their lives. Their existence is already hard and difficult. And yet as they examine this, they're like, hey, let's venture out. And they do. They venture out and find out that the Syrians aren't there. And they left everything behind. Food, clothing, possessions. It's a jackpot. 
And they're amazed. And it says right there, they ate, verse 8, they ate and drank. And they carried away silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them and came back and entered another tent and got some more stuff. I mean, can you imagine? It's just like, they're the only four dudes in the whole camp. Hey, look what I found. Hey, look what I found. Verse 9. Then they said to one another, Ah, what we're doing is not right. What do you mean what you're doing not right? This day is a day of good news, but we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called to the gatekeeper of the city and told them, saying, We went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. And then the king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry, therefore they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And verse 12 tells us why his servant was so skeptical. Because this king was faithless. And when you hang out with faithless people, that's what you're going to become. I mean, this is a tremendous testimony. They took their own lives into their hands again to go tell the king. And they come and share everything and what happens to the king? No way, this is a trap. It's not true. Just like his servant. The king is walking in faithless failure here. Which is to be expected. Don't forget the backdrop of our isolated insights in the life of Elisha is a faithless leadership and a faithless nation that's turned their back on God. And it shouldn't surprise us in our own faithless nation that's turned their back on God, that skepticism and unbelief would prevail. God has done a great work and arranged for the message to come to the king with good news, and yet he still either can't believe or more likely simply won't believe. And I find that to be the case so many times when we're sharing the gospel. Because this is a great insight too on, hey, here we are, We have the good news of the gospel, more valuable than food and clothing and gold and silver. I mean, we have have come across something so more valuable, and yet those of you, and you know who you are in your own personal walk with the Lord, those of you that have not shared the gospel with someone, you can say like the leprous men, hey, what we're doing is not right. And you say, Ed, why? Well, because we've, we've got these great riches and we remain silent. We remain silent. And here the king, he's so filled with unbelief. And it's always tragic. It's always a tragic thing when unbelief steals away the blessings of God in your life and mine. It's always tragic. Oh, it's a trap. It couldn't be true. And our minds get filled with all sorts of weird thoughts, wrapped up in unbelief. Unbelief holds you back from all that God wants you to do. Unbelief leads to disobedience. Disobedience leads to more. Before you know it, you're so far away. God has provided deliverance and abundance, peace, rest. God has worked and he's only met with unbelief. Notice verse 13, and one of his servants answered and said, please let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they may either become all like the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed I say they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. But let us send them and see. Let us see. Those are the words of faith. Let's go find out. Let's venture out in faith. Let's see what God has done. Let's see what God wants to do. Therefore they took two chariots with horses, verse 14, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army saying, go and see. 
And they went after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians, and a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel. And I have this underline, you might want to write it down, according to the word of the Lord. According to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, but the people trampled him in the gate and he died, just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, two seahs of barley for a shekel, a seah of fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then that officer had answered the man of God, and said, now look, if the Lord would make windows of heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. So the good news is, fortunately, the king still had a few people around him that were filled with faith, and that had the courage and the boldness to say, can we just check it out? Can we just check it out? enough so that the king would respond, well, go ahead and go and see. And praise God for those of you here today that are filled with faith and speak forth faith in very faithless situations or to very faithless, skeptical people. And you come with great encouragement and you're always eager to find out what the Lord has done and what the Lord wants to do. And so as they check it out, indeed it is true, and everything comes to pass exactly as it was spoken by the man of God, but that officer got to see it and not experience it because he was trampled to death, because the wages of his sin literally led to death. Let me read to you what one commentary said in Warren Wiersbe. I love his commentary, and I quote, he says, It appears that this officer had gradually accepted the pessimistic, unbelieving attitude of his king. To him, it was impossible for the prices to fall that low in one day and for fine flour and barley to be available so quickly, but God did it. And the very people he thought would die of starvation came rushing out of the gate. They knocked him down and trod on his helpless body, and he died. The word, and this is where I like what he said, the word of the Lord lived on, but the man who denied that word was killed. And Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Listen as we head out today. Unbelief will rob you of the work and blessings of God. Unbelief will stifle the forward progress of your life in Christ. Unbelief will lead to backsliding, timidity, discouragement. Unbelief will hinder the work of God through a fellowship family. Unbelief will hinder the progress of your personal family. It will harm your marriage. When you don't believe the promises of God and you don't heed the promises of God, unbelief will pull you backwards. Because here we have the king, a man appointed in leadership by God himself, but he doesn't believe the word of the Lord. And we have his key man. He sees all this, but he's trampled to death before he could even enjoy it. The same thing happens today with so many in our fellowship, with so many around us in the body of Christ. You're actually seeing what others are experiencing, but because of your unbelief, you don't experience it, and you remain skeptical and maybe even hardened in your unbelief. And if you're not awakened in faith soon, your whole life will pass you by, and you'll miss out on the abundance of life that's yours by faith in Jesus Christ. 
A sobering challenge Pastor Ed Taylor wraps up with on today's Abounding Grace, along with an encouragement to trust the Lord. And if you've yet to do so, take that step of faith right now. You won't regret it. We're in the midst of a series that's based in 2 Kings. If you'd like to hear it again, go to calvaryaurora.org. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through our mobile apps. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. We light up around here when we hear from our listeners. It sure puts a smile on our faces. Pastor Ed, could you share an example of what God is doing through Abounding Grace as we close? Well, you know, Larry, Abounding Grace Radio has been on the air for 17 years, and we've been a church for 19. And early on, God really impressed upon my heart that what we have to give to our city, because we started on a local AM radio station here in Denver, what we could offer our city was the systematic teaching of the Bible, verse by verse, book by book, and chapter by chapter. And so we were contacted by a local radio station. We were able to get some some primitive production done on our Bible studies, and we just began airing what I was teaching on Sunday mornings. And what a great journey it's been. And now we're on all around the country, even on stations around the world. We're on some some internet sites like oneplace.com where we are contacted from thousands upon thousands upon thousands of listens uh, every month. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's humbling. Uh, but I'm grateful because I know that God uh, does use the gift of pastor-teacher. And when you're listening to the radio, right now you're listening to Abounding Grace, but there'll be a teacher after me and there's a teacher before me. There will be teachers that really connect with you. And what a beautiful thing for the radio stations around the country to air solid Bible teaching. And we're grateful to be a small part of it. Uh, Here's one of our letter updates. I'm so encouraging. In 2017, we became homebound and discovered Grace TV just weeks before it went off the air. So let me just mention that for many years, we had a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week television station here in Denver. And we aired many different videos of Bible teachers while we had it. Uh, And so the relationship that was built with this family was through Grace TV. So let's go back. In 2017, we became homebound and discovered Grace TV just weeks before it went off the air. We felt well enough to attend services for a few weeks. And by being there in person, we were introduced to Grace FM. We listened and a foundation of trust was established, and we praised God for our new church home by way of radio. My husband had some bad falls and now has 24-hour care, but we listen to Pastor Ed daily on Abounding Grace, and it's been a lifeline. Even the services that are broadcast live are on there. Our Father is so good to care for us, it's taking my breath away. You know, tears come to my eyes, Larry, when I I think of this family. I remember meeting them and, you know, really technology, whatever it might be, you know, whether in the day we used to do cassette tapes, you know, and and CDs. And and then we started putting in. We were one of the first churches around here in this area to put MP3s. Actually, it wasn't even MP3s. It was real audio on an Internet site. And then we moved to. Uh, of course, radio and now apps and podcasting and so much. But you know, it's not the technology that's so important. It's the tool that helps us build a bridge to a sister and a family like this. That's really what it's all about. 
to get the church outside of the walls. And we are humbled and we are grateful to use technology. Uh, as, as Pastor Chuck Smith uh, taught us, my pastor, Jeff Johnson, I've always really appreciated Pastor Greg Glory and especially uh, Skip Heitzig uh, in their use of technology for the gospel, and we want to go all in. And recently this phrase w- was shared with me. Uh, it was actually in an Instagram post I saw on, a, on the wall behind a picture of Greg Glory, and it said, uh, we, are, we are willing to do anything short of sin to reach the lost. And I'm paraphrasing that. And so I've been asking the question recently, are we willing to do anything short of sin to reach the lost? And the answer to that is yes. So thank you for allowing us to be a part of your lives. Um, We love you. You are family. Yes, you are family to us. And we'd like to connect with you, too. A good way to get the ball rolling is to email us. And here's our address, info at calvaryaurora.org. Glad you've taken time out for our study. We'll bring you more from Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 2 Kings next time on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 